sorry, Revelation chapter 13, um, just out in the beginning, this chapter is about the Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. So the Bible tells us in John, 1 John, and really, honestly, there's three major places in your Bible, and you might find in Zechariah and a couple other places some isolated um, prophecies about the Antichrist, but primarily in the book of Daniel, in the book of First and Second John, and in the book of Revelation, there's actually tons in your Bible about this character, the Antichrist. I've been talking about it a ton. My wife, who's grown up in church her entire life, from the time she was born to a pastor and um, a senior pastor of a church, and you know, been in church every Sunday of her life, and you know, she was telling me recently, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of the Antichrist. I keep talking about the Antichrist every week. He's like, move on. But here we are. We're in the chapter. This is a chapter about the Antichrist. we got a couple more weeks, and so we're going um, to just, just hit it. You know, the Bible says in 1 John, he said that over the years, there have been many, many Antichrists with a little A. And he said the spirit of Antichrist is to knock the Father and deny the Son. And over the years, we've seen... Uh, Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler and on and on, uh, Mao Zedong and other um, world leaders who have been responsible for, for so many deaths and for the spirit of Antichrist over the years. And they've been types because John tells us in 1 John in your Bible that the spirit or a type of Antichrist has been with us always and will be with us. And then he goes on and he says, but the capital A Antichrist will be coming. And so we see that fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And the, and the bottom line is that after the rapture of the church, and again, there's going to be a gap between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period that we're studying right now in Revelation. I don't know how long that gap is, a month, a day, six months, a week. I don't see it being years, but it's possible. But there has to be some kind of time from the rapture for the Antichrist to gain enough power to be able to make a treaty with Israel because Daniel 9.25 says that the marking of the parentheses, and it's very specific. We read last week, 1,260 days. We read that multiple times in the Bible. It's in Daniel over the tribulation period. It's in Revelation multiple times that it is a seven-year period exactly to the day on a Jewish calendar, seven 360-day um, years and at exactly the middle point, at the three-and-a-half-year point, the Antichrist will go into the rebuilt Jewish temple, and he will declare himself as God, um, committing the abomination of desolation. The Jews will realize they've been duped, and they will flee, possibly, as we showed you guys last week, to the rock city of Petra that is in Amman, Jordan. So it's exactly time. And the Bible tells you in Daniel 9.25 that the beginning that marks those 1,260 days until the Antichrist goes into the temple, the, the marking that the Bible gives us. You know, I used to grow, when I was growing up in, in church, and I, I've always just kind of assumed the rapture would mark that begin the seven-year period, but it doesn't. What marks the seven-year period is the Antichrist making and confirming, specifically confirming, a peace treaty with Israel. So this character, the Antichrist, will be a world leader. He won't be a devil with red horns and a pitchfork and breathing fire out of his mouth, going, take, follow me to hell, we're going to burn forever. That's, he, will be a, he will be a human. He will be like um, a type of Judas Iscariot in your Bible. Judas Iscariot was a Jew who was um, filled with Satan. The Bible says that when the Antichrist um, gains his power, that he will be um, empowered with all kinds of signs and lying wonders that come from the power of Satan who will indwell him. There's only been two um, indwellings of Satan himself recorded in human history. The first one was Judas Iscariot, and the second one will be the Antichrist. There's been lots of demon possessions. 
um, recorded in our Bible, but not by Satan himself, by the demons and by his henchmen, but when it needs to areas in order to make sure. You ever heard the old expression, if you want something done right? That's, Satan, that's Satan's motto with Judas Iscariot and the Antichrist. If you want something done right, do it yourself. And so he will empower and enter into this human character, the Antichrist, and rise on the scene. Now, what has the world done for the last hundred years, thousands of years? We've tried to look at the world landscape of the geopolitical politics and try to figure out who this Antichrist character could possibly be. And, and the people get so weird with this stuff. And because of 666, you know, I've heard everything. You know, a big, big one for a long time was Ronald Wilson Reagan. You know why? Because he had three, three names, and they all had six letters in them. So it was the number of man, Ronald, six letters. Wilson, six letters. Reagan, six letters. Ronald, Wilson, Reagan. Oh, 666, that's the Antichrist. He's a world leader. He's going to take over the world. And then we heard Obama was the Antichrist. And I don't know why they love to, to land on the American president, except what's funny is they've never landed on our current American president. <laughs> that right there. <laughs> But they, a, 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 easy. Um, but on and on and on of, 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 and I'll tell you, some of these folks have been types of Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. And what I remind you is that because he's going to be filled with Satan, and in, in Thessalonians it says he's going to be accompanied by all kinds of lying signs and wonders, that, that there's going to be a supernatural power that's going to give this human um, politician and leader the ability, the wisdom, the character um, to, to be able to deceive the world and deceive the, the Jews. And so he doesn't necessarily have to be. Now, we're always looking for that right personality, that charismatic leader who could take the world by storm. But he doesn't necessarily have to be that character because once Satan fills him, you know, my joke is that the guy, honestly, he could be Pee Wee Herman. And then when the Antichrist fills him, he, he becomes this, this person with the power of, of Satan inside of him. And so the other thing I'll tell you as Christians, and I was saving this for the end, but I just want to tell you right now. The Bible says very clearly that the Antichrist will not be revealed until after the restrainer is taken away. That's you and I. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through the church. The Antichrist will not be revealed until after the church is taken away. So it's futile for us to try to guess and figure out who this character is going to be. We won't figure it out, and we won't be here when he's revealed. It happens after the rapture. He will rise out of the dust of the rapture and the chaos that that will create on planet Earth, and he will start to come up with solutions to put the world back in order after the rapture of the church. The other thing is the mark of the beast happens at the, the three-and-a-half-year mark in the Great Tribulation, and we won't be here for that either. And, you know, the world has been silly about the mark of the beast, too. Because the number 666, we, again, with the Ronald Wilson Reagan nonsense and, and all these things. that I, I remember when, it was, when the Internet came out and it was the, the, the letters WWW were supposed to be 666. And so it's, oh, it's the mark of the beast. You know, the vaccine nowadays is the mark of the beast. And, you know, many well-meaning, loving, right-on Christians have called me and just said, I know, I know, but I want to ask you, is, is, this, is this the mark of the beast? And very lovingly, I walk them through it, and, and I show them there's, it's impossible for anything that we live in today to be or have or be the mark of the beast. Number one, there has to be a beast for there to be a mark. Number two, the mark is specifically on the, on the right hand or on the forehead. Okay? And I'm pretty sure the vaccine doesn't go on your right hand or your forehead. It's, it's a specific, willingly worship of Satan. 
And then again, listen, you will not be here. You will not be here. You won't do it. And everybody who receives the mark, 100% of those who receive the mark of the beast, we find in our Bibles, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, and they will not go to heaven. It's a death sentence to hell for all of eternity if you receive the mark. And so, and again, the mark of the beast is not going to be tricked on anybody. As we're going to see today, when you get to the mark of the beast, it's a willful decision of those that receive it to receive and worship Satan. Just like you and I willingly worship and receive Jesus, we say a prayer, Jesus, I ask you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. We've given our lives to Jesus. Those that receive the mark of the beast, it's not like there's this guy out there and he just has this big family of eight kids and a wife and he's providing and he just needs to bring food home and he doesn't want to get this mark. But the Antichrist says you can't buy or sell without the mark. And he's like, man, I just I, I can't let my family starve. I have to be able to trade and buy. So he goes and gets the mark so that he can provide for his family. That's not going to happen. That's not the way it goes down. Those that receive the mark will make a willingly conscious decision to receive Satan in their life and in their heart as their Lord, as their Savior, and for that they will be condemned to to hell for all of eternity. Wonderfully uplifting Sunday sermon, Pastor Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah, listen, thank you. You will not be here, so we don't have to trip. And and again, I want to put it out. If you're here in church this morning, you know, a couple things, just guarantee. You're Calvary people, you got to get these couple things down. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. No man knows the day or the hour. So that, that talk is out, right? Anybody ever tells you when Jesus is coming back? Nonsense, okay? Number two, you will not receive the mark of the beast. You won't be here. You won't know who the Antichrist is, so stop, stop trying to figure it out. We got those covered? All right, sweet. All right, I want to show you guys this in a minute. This is important in our study, but let's look at verse 1. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw the beast rising up out of the sea. Everybody say the sea. Now listen, nine times out of ten, when you see that term, the sea, in your Bible, it is not referring to the ocean or the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or body of water. The sea is an idiom. It's a type. And in this particular um, essence, it means the gen- usually it means the Gentile nations or the, the nations outside of Israel who are very inclusive. So he saw a beast rising out of the Gentile nations. And so the beast that comes out of the sea, again, the world, the Gentile nations, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head blasphemous names. So he has seven heads, and these speak of seven different authorities or kingdoms or regions that he's in charge over, that he has power over. And the ten horns, those, again, they speak of the authority that he has over these ten areas. And then um, it says the ten crowns. And again, this crown is a diadem. Now, um, there's two different types of crowns we see in the Bible. One is the one that Jesus wears, and um, uh, uh, Stephanos, and the diadem. So Stephanos is the lower of the two. It's like when you win the Olympics in the old days, and they give you a a wreath, a crown. That's a Stephanos, okay? That's what's mentioned here. Jesus wears a diadem, or a royal crown. So he's wearing these crowns, but they speak of authority. And on his head, a blasphemous name. So on the Antichrist, or this beast that rise out of the sea, and this power and authority that comes with the seven heads and the ten horns, a blasphemous name written on his head. I remember that so many people wanted to make the Antichrist come out of ISIS because ISIS would wear those, those ISIS headbands. And the ISIS headbands have a blasphemous term across them. They say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. 
And in, and in the um, Dome of the Rock, there in Jerusalem, on the mountain, the, that same saying represents Islam. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And in, the, and in the Dome of the Rock, there's added literature that says Jesus is also his prophet, but God has no son. He is neither begot nor is he begotten. And, and the number one sin of Islam is to believe that God has a son or that God begots or has begotten. And it denies Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in Islam. And because this is on their flag and they wear it on their foreheads and as Islam was on the rise and people are reading their Bibles, it made a lot of sense. And to be honest, I was, I was kind of starting to get on board with the idea that the Antichrist would, would come from the Muslim nations. And, and, and so much of those things were consistent with what the Bible says. But the problem is that the, the Antichrist will not be a Muslim. He cannot be a Muslim. Because the, the main reason is because the Jews are going to follow him. They're going to believe that he is their Messiah. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I promise you that 15 million Jews, not one of them, will believe or will follow a Muslim as a Messiah. No matter what he does, it's not going to happen. And then what you find and what we're going to look at today in our Bibles is, is I'm in the camp that, that the Antichrist is going to be of Jewish nature, of Jewish um, heritage. Now, it says he's going to come from the Gentile nations. So he will come from the somewhere in the revived Roman Empire. He may come from, who knows, Austria, somewhere around the world, somewhere in Europe. But he will be of Jewish descent. This, this is all over the world, right? We have Henry Kissinger's and the um, George Soros's. These are famous, um, successful Jewish men who are against Israel and are, are not Jewish by religion or do not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that are ethnically Jewish. Judas Iscariot, what ethnicity was he? He was Jewish. And to me, that ties the Antichrist and lots of other reasons in our Bible, a few I'll try to highlight today. And it's just an opinion. It's just my opinion. I could have the wrong opinion. But I believe that the Antichrist will be of Jewish ethnicity and come from a Gentile nation. It says here he's going to come from a Gentile nation. Now, this is a, a, a statue of Daniel chapter 2. Anybody familiar with the statue in your Bible? Okay. What happens in Daniel chapter 2, and I want to tell you, the book of Daniel is the book of Revelation tucked in your Old Testament in so many ways, okay? It, it has so much parallel, and it, is, it, is, it lays over the top of the book of Revelation. I kind of joke, and it's like the Jews who will not read the New Testament or receive the New Testament, God's like, okay, fine, you don't want to read the New Testament? I'll take the book of Revelation, and I'll stuff it in your Old Testament. Because they have it, and it's so much of it is parallels and teaches about the Antichrist and about the end times events in Revelation. And so Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 has a dream. And the simple story is Daniel and the nation of Israel was carried away captivity into Babylon for 70 years. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, this famous city that's going to come into play, this Babylonian religion that Jesus is going to defeat as we read in a couple weeks in Revelation 17 and 18, um, Daniel is carried and Nebuchadnezzar carried the best and the brightest young men Hebrew men into Babylon, and he trained them in the ways of Babylon. And Daniel was in this class. And Daniel excelled among all of the, the people and his three friends. What were his three friends' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? Those three and Daniel. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he gathers all the wise men, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the, 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 the myth-sayers, everybody, the whatever, tarot card readers, all them whack jobs. And he... Uh, he, he says, I had a dream, and I want you guys to interpret my dream. And they said, okay, king, no problem. We will interpret your dream. Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. 
And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not giving you the interpretation this time because I don't believe that what you're going to say is true. The only way I can know it's true is if you tell me what the dream was and what it means. And they said, nobody can do that. That's impossible, king. Nobody can know what your dream is and give you the interpretation. And he said, that's right, unless it's right. And so he said, I'm going to kill all of you then. And Daniel got word of what was going on. And Daniel said, King, wait. Before you do that, there is a God in heaven who can interpret dreams. And that night, God showed Daniel the dream and its interpretation. And Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him exactly what he dreamed and what the interpretation was. And in in, um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was a statue who had a head of gold, who had breast and arms of silver, belly and thigh of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And Daniel began to explain that the head of gold is you, King Nebuchadnezzar, this head of Babylon. And the succeeding um, metals that are um, lesser in value and lesser as they go down in strength, he says that, um, that, that the next one will be the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, the belly and thighs of brass will represent the Grecian Empire. And then the Roman Empire. And these are the succeeding kingdoms that would rule planet Earth. And, and people to this day have a very hard time with the book of Daniel because it was so exactly accurate in predicting the future. There's no way they say that Daniel could have written that when he did. It's too accurate. It's too perfect. To the T. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation. And so if you study your history, the Babylonian Empire by Nebuchadnezzar was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire ruled for 300, 200 years. And then the Grecian Empire came in. That's where we get the 300 and the um, Leonidas and that famous movie. And then the Roman Empire, who ruled the longest, until 476 A.D., we know the Roman Empire. And all of these were world-conquering empires, every one of them. But the Roman Empire, it never was conquered. It, it exploded, imploded from within. And since the Roman Empire, have we had a world-conquering um, power on planet Earth? What nation after Rome conquered the whole world? None, right? To this day, there's not been another. And so Daniel lays this out. And then he says the final empire will be these feet of iron and clay. And they'll have ten toes. And these ten toes will represent ten nations. And from these these feet of iron and clay will be the revived Roman Empire. And from the revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist will rise. And so we have this final empire that's probably the one, it's not probably, we are the people of the toes. Look at your neighbor and say, you are of the toes. This is where we live. We live in the church age. We are the people of the toes in the revived Roman Empire, partially clay and partially iron. And so the Antichrist will come somewhere from this revived Roman Empire. Now, um, we we need to, so we say Europe, right? And and in our minds, we think of Western Europe. But I just want to remind you what, what complicates it a wee bit and what kind of fit the Islamic idea was that the Roman Empire in Europe is actually Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Much, much of the Middle East is in, included in, in the, um, Europe, right? If you look at where the continent of Europe covers, it covers much of the Middle East as well, right? So the Antichrist will come out of that, and that what we see here in verse 1. The Antichrist comes out of the sea. Let's look at verse 2. Um, And then it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Hey, you can write next to verse 2. I'm not going to do it today. Daniel 7 is where that parallel um, passage is found. And then in verse 3 it says, And I saw one of his heads, 
as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So we'll get back to that. The Antichrist is um, going to be wounded and, and, and very publicly, and he's going to heal from it. And it's going to turn a lot of people towards him and to worship him. Hey, I want you to turn with me because I do want you to know this. Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse number 36. Now, these are descriptions all the way through Daniel chapter 11. Um, let me rabbit trail. This is not in the notes, but sorry. Uh, and I don't have time today to rabbit trail. But listen. The, the providence of God is, is different than the miracles of God and the power of God. The providence is the part of your Bible, the part of human history where God supernaturally orchestrates the lives of people and situations to, to fit the narrative that he is trying to explain. For example, God tells Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to take him up onto this mountain that I will show you to the place that I show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. And in the providence of God, we watch this story, and it's the exact story of his son Jesus, who's going to die on the same exact um, location on planet Earth that, that, that Abraham brought Isaac. That, that years later, that would be the X on planet Earth where Jesus' cross would be in the planet. And everything, Isaac being 33 years old, and Isaac being a willing sacrifice, able to overpower his father, but going willingly, carrying the, the wood for himself as Jesus would carry the cross. And we see the providence of God orchestrates these things all the way through. Now, um, the book of Daniel, again, is so fascinating because there's these stories and these wars between these kingdoms as they're being um, changing hands. And the, Medo the Medes and the Persians were like teammates. And then what we see is the Persian Empire began to dominate the Medo, the Medo Empire. And, and as history went on, the Persians really dominated the Medo-Persian dynasty period. And then as the Grecians come in and how that, um, how, that, how that unfolded according to God's providence exactly as he said it would. And, like, I mean, controlling who wins battles. And, and I don't know how much of his hand is in that, but what we see is the providence of God through um, our Bibles. And so here in, in Daniel 11, that's what it's about. It's about this providence of God and these amazing stories of Old Testament events that lay right over the top of the book of Revelation and of future events. It's super fascinating. And again, we should do a, a Sunday on the providence of God. It's, it's super, super fascinating. And then, we, so let's get into Daniel 11 really quickly. I want you to draw your attention to verse number 36. And this is a description of the Antichrist. It says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. Everybody say, own will. Boo. Say that, boo. Okay, do we do our own will? What are we called to do? God's will, the will of the Father. Even Jesus, he set the example for you and I. He said, I must be about my Father's business. And if Jesus must be about his Father's business, how much more important for us to be about our Father's business, for us to do the will of God. You know, I, I saw this um, story of this kid who gives a testimony that he died and, and he was in heaven. And, you know, and I don't know how you guys feel about that. I think everybody feels differently. And I always take them with a grain of salt. But I always listen if there's something that I can learn or grow from, even if it's a testimony. And this kid says that, that he was engaged on, on earth and he had this woman and he remembers being in this car crash and thoughts of, of, of this marriage that was coming and this girl that he loved and, and all of these things and, and his father and, and, and events in his life. And he said he stood in the throne room of God. And he said in that moment, he said, nothing, none of those things, and as important they were, it was everything of who I was in this life, this girl, this, this, these responsibilities, this importance. He said, none of that I even think of. He said, I was like 
kind of aware of, of who I was and, and, and what was going on. And the, but, but I didn't care about any of those things. It was like I stood at attention in the presence of God, and the only thing that consumed me was God's will. God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do? I'm here. Like just the will of God was so overwhelming and consuming in, in his testimony that he just wanted to stand at attention and just wait for God to give him direction. And, and if that's an experience of standing in the presence of God, we, we've got to translate that, and that's difficult, right, here to the flesh and live our lives every day at attention. God, what do you want me to do today? Wake up every day and say, God, what is your will for me today? Wake up and say, good morning, Lord. What, what do you want me to do for you today? How can I serve you today? What opportunities do you have for me today? What is your will for my life today? I want to walk in your will. I want to be led in your will. Do you know what God wants for you? Do you know where God has you in five years from today? God has a perfect place for your life to be in five years from today. He's orchestrated it. He's blessed it. He wants you to, to end up in his perfect will and blessing. And you know there's only one way to get there? Same way you eat an elephant. One bite at a time. One day at a time. Walking in God's will today. Walking in God's will tomorrow. Walking in God's will the next day. A little bit at a time. Every day. Every 15 minutes of your life. You know your life would be perfect if you did the perfect will of God for the next 15 minutes? And then when that was over, you just did it again? And you just did that for the rest of your life? You will not miss where God has for you in five years. You won't miss the will of God in your life. And, and so, um, let's look back at Daniel. That was his own will. So then the king shall do according to his own will. All right. That was another kind of rabbit. Squirrel. I'm a little ADD. You guys know that, right? You still love me? Even though I'm a little ADD? I got to say this. This is the Antichrist. And the characteristic of the Antichrist is that he does his own will. And I just want to say that this is the truth. According to the, the, the Satanic Bible and, and, and opposite of God, the, the, the Satanic um, religion, they say the whole of the law is, anybody know what the whole of the law is in the Satanic church? Good, good that you don't know unless I taught you. It is do what thou wilt. Now you've probably heard that, right? Do what thou wilt. That's what Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley, when they wrote the Satanic Bible in a hotel in 1969, that's what they said. That, that's what the mantra is, do what thou wilt. Frank Sinatra sang a famous song with the Satanic mantra in mind. Nobody? Somebody sing it for me. I was going to try, but I did it. My, <laughs> but that's the idea, and I'm not I'm not making a case for Frank Sinatra, but I am saying that it, it was intentional of the world to preach the idea that we do it our way, we do what we want, we walk according to our own will, we please ourselves, we don't we do what's um, pleasing and what feels good, and that's okay if it feels good to you and it's pleasing to you. Forget everything else. That's okay because you do your own will. And so we see the Antichrist here, and the first characteristic we get in Daniel is that he does his own will. Let's see what else it says about him. It says, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. You know, ultimately, if you don't serve Jesus, men create for themselves their own gods, and we become our own gods. And then it says in verse number, uh, or in verse number 36, second half, shall, he shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Now, one of the things, multiple verses through here in Daniel, and then also I'll point one out in Revelation, one of the characteristics of Antichrist is this guy has a big mouth. And he's constantly speaking pompous words, blasphemies. This guy, and he's very, I'm sure, very articulate. I'm sure he's probably going to be the best communicator that's ever walked on planet Earth besides Jesus. 
He, he's always speaking um, satanic and blasphemous words. He's got a big mouth. It's, it's, it's funny because if you highlight it as you read through Daniel, the different prophecies about the Antichrist, it's always mentioning something about this guy's big mouth. The God of God, or he, he shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has accomplished for what he has been determined shall be done. Verse 37, listen. He shall neither he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Two characteristics of the Antichrist. He will not, he will not regard the God of his fathers. One, that's a Jewish idiom for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. One of the reasons, again, I think that I believe he will be Jewish by ethnicity is because he will not hear in these, both of these things. The second one says that he will not, um, nor will he regard women. Actually, let me, let me quote it exactly so I get it right. Um, nor, nor the desire, that's what it is, nor the desire of women. So he doesn't have the desire of women, and he doesn't regard the God of his fathers. Okay? Both are Jewish idioms. Some people have read this and said, oh, he doesn't desire women. He's going to be a homosexual um, and again, 100 years ago, pretty impossible to believe. Today, not impossible to believe. Um, is that possible that he doesn't regard women? It's possible, but I don't think that's what it's saying because it's not consistent with the other three um, ideas that are given here. Every one of them are Jewish in nature. They're Jewish idioms. The second one is the desire of women in your Bible was the desire of Jewish women to, to be the mother of Messiah. And, and, and God and his providence chose Mary, but, but it, was, it was culturally the idea in Israel growing up, knowing that God was going to send Messiah, that you would be the woman that God chose. And that was the desire of women in the Bible. That's what the idea means, is, is I want to be the one that God uses to bring the Messiah. And so he's not going to, and, and again, John tells us of the Antichrist, the characteristic of Antichrist in, in your Bible is that he will um, deny Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here we have the father and the son being denied. So again, consistent with the Antichrist, it's, it's in that vein. And then it says, um, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Verse 38, it says, but in their place, he shall honor the God of fortress. Now, the God of fortress is the God of war. It's the God of armaments. And what's fascinating is, do you know what the Antichrist is going to be impressed with and what he's going to go after hard and what he's going to, um, in essence, worship the God of? weapons and war and i will tell you that our world has the most crazy futuristic weapons in the world that, that that you can't even imagine what's out there what you know of right now the technology that's available to the public is at least 20 years old so they're 20 years ahead in weaponology from what you're aware of that we use have you guys seen any videos and this stuff is old too but have you guys seen any videos of the um soldier robots it's a robot it has weapons and, it, and it, can, it ducks under under obstacles and can get this low. Big weapons. It recognizes targets, recognizes threats, um, doesn't shoot the, the civilian, shoots the, the one next to it, and um, can march and do all these things, knocks over, gets up. You know, and it's just an idea. Drones. You realize, you know, you just be sitting in your living room, and they can send a drone into your, into your house and through your living room. And it's not the same war that we fought before, with technology with... You can't even imagine. You watch the movies. You see some of the far-fetched stuff they come up with. You know, it's, it, it's going to be there, and the Antichrist will take full advantage of the God of fortress and weapons and future weapons, and he'll use them at his disposal because he'll need them as he, as he conquers the world. Amen? So then the next one says that, um, and a God of the fathers did not know. It says, and a, and a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with silver and gold. 
What is the God that his fathers didn't know? I don't know what this other one is. Something, again, demonic, satanic, that the Antichrist will be about weapons, and he will he's probably going to have two Colt 1911 45s in his waistband that shoot themselves. All right, back to Revelation. Verse number three says, And I saw one of his heads as though I'd been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Satan is a fake. Everybody say a fake. Listen, Satan has zero creativity. There's not a creative bone in his body uh, when it comes to his deception. All he does is he just copies, he follows what God does and perverts it. He takes what God created and he perverts it into something that's perverted. And, and he has no creativity. All the deception, all the lies, all the history of Satan is just a perversion of what God has created and what God has meant for blessing many times. And so here we have the ultimate fake as far as I'm concerned. And you could, you could read this for yourself and take your own take on it. But to me, it, what does happen is obvious because it tells you, look down at um, verse number 12. And it says, And he exercises all authority in the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell and those who worship the first beast whose, what wound? Deadly wound was healed. So the Antichrist is going to receive a wound. It tells us in the Old Testament, in his eye, in his left eye. So he receives maybe a bullet, maybe something, some kind of deadly wound. And, and, and that he um, maybe is faking the, the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. The most important thing to your and I's faith and the Antichrist here is going to mimic it. You might take a while. Guess what it is? It's the greatest miracle that's ever happened. The resurrection. That Jesus died and rose again. Hey, know this verse. Turn with me real quick. Hold your finger there. We're coming right back. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse number 12, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found wit false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ, then Christ is not risen. Listen, verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Look at verse 19. If in this life we have hope in Christ only, we are of all men, verse 19, the most pitiable. Paul tells us without the resurrection of Christ, we are the most pitiable people on planet Earth. What are we doing without the resurrection? It's the only thing that gives us the power and the separation of everything else that's out there in the world. But, but there is a resurrection. And there is power. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. What would you do today? <laughs> Listen, when I was a kid, one of my best friends, to this day, one of my best friends, um, this kid was born in Taiwan, moved to uh, Lawndale, California, two doors down from me when he was four years old, grew up in uh, L.A. And we were best friends, all grown up since, since four years old. And, um, and he came from China, from Taiwan, and we would argue back and forth. And I wasn't a Christian. I mean, I, I called myself a Christian because I knew I wasn't Catholic or Buddhist or something else, and I just identified with Christian, but I didn't know what that means. I didn't know Jesus. But, but he would ask me, how can one billion Chinese people be wrong? I don't know if there's a billion, there's not a billion Buddhists, but that was his point. 
But I've had other people ask me over the years, you know, how do you know what to believe? You tell me that, that, that your religion is the right one, and there's a million other ideas and people that would that contradict you and say something else. How do I know what you believe? How do I know to believe what you're saying is true? Now, I want to tell you, listen, don't be offended if, if you're witnessing and somebody asks you this question, because sometimes you want to take offense of that. Like, how do I know? There's all these things out there in the world. That's a good question. If you're not a believer, or that, that's something you want a Christian to be able to answer. How, how do I know you're right? How, how, there's all kinds of different things out there, and there is. Because I've told you before, in the Babylonian religion, Jesus said you have to be on the narrow road that leads to salvation. But Satan's freeway has a million lanes, and it doesn't matter which one you're on to lead to destruction. So he just keeps adding lanes of deception to different religions and different things. And people look at this highway, and they see 500 lanes here and one lane here. They're like, how do I know these 500 are wrong and yours is right? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other religion in the world has a God who came and died and rose again the third day. Buddha, Muhammad, on and on, they're all dead. None of them claim to be alive and living. None of them claim to be care about what's going on in your life on a daily basis, to count the number of hairs that are on your head. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that separates us from the rest. And, and I tease sometimes, and maybe I need to quit this joke because the Antichrist is going to take me up on it right here. I tell people, listen, there's a lot of money in religion. We can make a lot of money. You know, lots of people, L. Ron Hubbard and sci- you know, uh, sci- well, Scientology, and, you know, he figured it out. He made a lot of money in, in, in religion, and that's how it started. And, and uh, I said, let's start our own religion. I said, all you got to do is one of you just die. Well, first of all, let me just beat you, like, to death for, you know, the worst human beating that anybody's ever, ever faced, put you in a tomb for three days, and all you got to do is rise up the third day, and I'll follow you. And we'll start this new religion. You just got to die. Let me shoot you between both eyes and you just fall dead. Everybody see it. Deadline. Maybe wait there. Lay there for three days. Dead. Checking you every day. And then you just rise up the third day and I'll follow you. And, and that's because the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that impactful. And we as Christians, it is, the, it is center to our faith, church. It is center to your faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is the very thing that here in Revelation that we see in the tribulation that the Antichrist is going to mock. He's going he's gonna to fake it. He's going to receive this wound, and it's going to seem as though he's dead because it's called a deadly wound, and, and, and he's going to come back through the power of Satan. The world is going to watch him. Let's look at the result. Revelation 13, you with me? It says in verse 4, so they worship. Everybody say, they worship. Why did they worship? It says, so they worship, which connects it back to the last verse. They worship because of this, this miracle. That, that, that came. And you know, there's two words in, in the Bible for life. One is the word where we get biology or how we live. The other one is spiritual. And this, this word is not the biology word. It's the spirit word. And so there's something in the spirit that um, happens that the false prophet or I mean, sorry, the Antichrist is given power by Satan and he comes back. And the rest of verse 4 says, And the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? And so now they're worshiping him. And he was given a mouth. Again, here's this big mouth of the Antichrist. Speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years, exactly. And then he opened his mouth, again, his mouth, in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Did you guys read verse 7 with me? I thought you said, Pastor, the saints aren't there. 
I thought you said we're not there. We're not. This is not you. This, there, there are other saints. The term saint is a, is, is a broad term in your Bible. Now, if you've come from a Catholic background where, where we deify certain folks and give them the title of saint, you think that the title of saint is reserved for the elite and those that have been um, given sainthood. But, but biblically, that's not the truth. Biblically, there's only two types of people in the world, and everybody's split right down the middle. You're either a saint or an ain't. You're, and a saint doesn't make you, it's just like you, you you've been called um, righteous. Like, yeah, like, I don't like that term about myself, because I know myself, I know my sin, like, I'm hardly righteous, you know. But then I'm reminded that it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been imputed to me. And now in humility, I can wear the term righteous. But I also give in the, t- the term saint. But, but the, 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 there's also a group here that are saints because they're saved. They're tribulation saints. Now, I want to give you another reason, another layer that this is not the church and the church is not here. Because the Antichrist is given authority over these saints and he prevails against them. And what did Jesus say about the saints, you and I, the church, the, the body of Christ? What did he say about us? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a big thorn, as far as I'm concerned, in the side of some local theology. Satan never prevailed against the church. There was never a redo or needed to be a redo because Satan will never prevail against the church. It goes against Jesus' own word that the church will never fail. There will always be a remnant, and there always has been, and there always will be a remnant. And Satan is not allowed to prevail against the church. And so in this case, he is prevailing. So then we go on in verse 8, and it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Can you imagine? I, I, I don't think you have to go back that far. I don't want to pick on anybody. But do we have somebody here like older? You know, imagine when you were a kid. The idea of, of people worshiping Satan. That have been so far-fetched, right? Like, who would ever worship? That's crazy. That will never happen. Now we live in a world today, and it's blatant. It's blatant. Hollywood, music world. I, 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 I could pick a couple, but I, I would hate to pick a couple because of the 50, 60, 100 artists, um, musicians in our world today that, that use all kinds of overt um, signs and things to, to show that they're worshiping Satan on stage and in performances and in videos. The one I've seen um, recently was, um, it was Post, I don't know, I saw it was Machine Gun Kelly and Post Malone, and they were showing different um, demonic type of, um, gestures that are consistent all the way through with, you know, those that, that worship Satan overtly and blatantly. And it's, we live in a world today that's, that's, that's not completely far-fetched. And here they're going to worship Satan and whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody say Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, listen, your name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you're going to go to heaven. So your most important thing today for you is to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do not leave here. Do not take anything from or away from this sermon if you don't take this away. Is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you've received Jesus in your heart, in your life, you've become born again, whether you're backslidden or not, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've never given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus, if you've walked away from the Lord Jesus, then you need to rededicate, you need to give your life to Jesus so that your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 20 says, all those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life were thrown into the lake of a fire for all of eternity. 
And so the so those that are that are that are worshiping him, their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Again, consistent with the worship of Satan. It's not a trick. It's not the mark of the beast. It's final, and it's a choice. In verse nine, it says, "If anyone has an ear, let him hear." He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And there is, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. All right, you guys hanging out? You guys all right? I could stop there, or I could try to quickly finish the next seven. Can you guys stay with me for five more minutes? You seem like you're doing all right today. Sometimes I could tell at this point, like, Pastor Chuck, our pastor used to say this, their minds can't contain what their behinds can't absorb. So once your behind gets tired of sitting on that chair, no matter what I say, you're not going to absorb it. But can we go five more minutes? And then five more minutes for our worship song? All right, let's just finish this today. Verse 11 is speaking about the the second part of this um, demonic trinity that we see in the book of Revelation. The demonic trinity is the flesh being the human of the Antichrist who's infilled with the beast or the dragon, which is Satan. And then we have a third counterpart who we see here in verse 11, and he's called the false prophet. Now understand, when we get to Revelation 17, we're going to study this Babylonian religion that Jesus is going to destroy in 17 and 18. And everybody says, is Babylon a geographic location because it's, it's, it's being destroyed? Well, it will have a hub and a geographical location. But just understand biblically, and we're going to get into this stuff pretty deep in a couple of weeks. The Babylonian religion from Genesis chapter 11 all the way through human history to today has four factions. And the Antichrist will rule all of them. He will have um, the political, the spiritual, the economic, and the geographic. Okay, those are the four legs of the Babylonian religion. But when it comes to the religious part, the one world religion, what we see in our Bibles is that the Antichrist has a a right-hand man who's going to be in charge of, as the Antichrist does the politics, the the economics, as he rules the world, that the guy who runs the the one world religion will be another character, a flesh character, empowered and, and, and endued, but he's going to run the false religion, the one world religion. He's possibly again, alive on planet Earth today, maybe somebody of of spiritual influence could be of any kind of um, um, religious twist or bent. It doesn't really matter because it's all going to morph into um, the coexist. The one world religion is going to include every religion of the world that's outside of Christ and put them all into one. And so that one world religion doesn't need a tag. It's not Catholic. It's not Muslim. It's not um, this or that. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It's going to include them all. So that no matter where you land on planet Earth, you will fit into this um, religion of the Antichrist led by this character in verse 11, the false prophet. And then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, the earth is another idiom there, um, not like the sea. The sea is the Gentile nations. The term earth, when you see something come out of the earth, that's coming out of a worldly system or a worldly idea, demonic ideas of the world. So he'll come out of the world, and he had two horns like a lamb. Now, the other one had ten horns, so he has a little power, but he only has part of the Babylonian system he's in charge of, like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. So the Antichrist, sorry, the false prophet, the religious wing, his job like the Holy Spirit. People ask me sometimes, are we to pray or worship the Holy Spirit? Well, what you find is that if you direct your prayers at the Holy Spirit, if you talk to the Holy Spirit, you'll feel in your spirit that the Holy Spirit is constantly deflecting you to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to point you, is to convict you of sins and point you to Jesus. 
And so you'll find that he's always putting, well, that's what the false prophet is doing here in this um, this holy trinity, this demonic trinity of the of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the, and Satan. And so he's focusing the worship of this false religion to the Antichrist and Satan himself. In verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from the earth and from the side of men. Who, who else brought down fire? Elijah. And so again, he's, it's another fake where he's mimicking the things of God. And this false prophet's going to have a limited amount of power. And then in verse 14, it says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So he's going to deceive by signs and wonders. Let me tell you something. Your experiences can deceive you. Be careful. I saw an alien. I saw an alien ship nobody will ever take it from. When I was a kid, and I was like 19 years old, my friends and I were going from L.A. to Laughlin for the weekend. And it was Big River weekend. We spent all weekend there. We did ungodly things all weekend. My mind wasn't right. We drove home. Well, we were smart. We drove home like at 4 in the morning because we wanted to beat the traffic from the next day. And there was something crazy going on around Area 51 on the way home from Laughlin that weekend as a 19-year-old. And I saw it with my own eyes. We pulled over. There was very few cars on the freeway, but the cars that were there were pulling over. And there was a light that came off the ground and went like this. And it stopped. And the dev stopped. And then it zigzagged and it did other things. And it was something flying object came off the ground, didn't act like anything else I'd ever seen. And it was positive as a 19-year-old I had seen an alien, an alien ship, a UFO. Today, that could have easily been a drone. But 19, when I was 19 years old, nobody knew what a drone was. But that's when they were inventing them. Because, again, we're 20 years or more behind them. And so today I look back. But as, as an experience, nobody would have ever taken it from me. I know what I saw, and I saw it. But listen, it, could, it can deceive you. Have you guys seen that technology where with, with, I don't know how they, I forget what it's called now, blue, what's it called, blue, uh, no, it's, it's, anyways, it's, it's like a high school gym. And all the students are in the seats, and a whale comes out of the gym floor. And he comes up and he hits the gym floor and waves flash off of it. And, and you're sitting in, a, in the bleachers and it's happening on the basketball court and you can't tell it's not real. It's so real looking. The, the, and, and so those types of things where we have this technology, they say that, that they're already using this type of technology in the world where, you know, they can show you something that's, that's generated by computers and by animation and different things. But to the eye, you, you would not know that it's not real. But, but, but signs and wonders and things and experiences can deceive you. Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light. So you might see an angel of light that tells you there's another gospel standing before you. And that's tough, right? Because that's a real experience that you experience. But no, those things can deceive us. But the word of God cannot deceive us. The word of God is the truth. The word of God is the level that we go by. And if it's inconsistent with what the word of God says, then that was a lie and this is the truth. Amen? All right, we, we got to be done now. Sorry, guys. Hey, Grace, you want to come up and close us in a song? Uh, we're going to do our hymn today, so I hope you guys will join me in that in a minute. In verse 15, it says, And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be, everybody, off with your head. And then it says, And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So now the Antichrist is in the temple in Jerusalem 
He sets up an image of himself. He demands all that worship all that worship it. As you bow down and worship it, you receive a mark on your right hand or your forehead. What that will be or what technology will be used, I have no idea. Use your imagination. It could be a lot of different things, things we know about, things we don't know about. But what is specific is it will be a mark on the forehead or, or on the right hand. It will be a willful worship of Satan. But what's fascinating here is that this image that the Antichrist sets up, that he demands everybody worship, it's going to have AI. It's going to have artificial intelligence. It's going to act like that thing that I showed you but really be alive. It's going to do some weird stuff. It says here that it's, he's going to give life to the, to the image, and it's going to, um, what does it say here in verse 15? He granted power and he gave breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. It's also going to have, like, I guess, a flying guillotine or something, you know, off with your head if you don't worship. And again, because, what, and what's cool is it's, it's consistent, right? Because in Daniel we read that the Antichrist, he's going to worship the God of weapons. And the very image that he's going to set up in the, in the um, Holy of Holies, in the temple in Jerusalem, that he's going to force you to worship. If you don't worship or receive the mark, it's going to have the ability to kill you. And then in verse 16, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except he who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 667. I heard this really far-fetched story. You guys can close your Bibles. Let's stand together. I heard this really far-fetched story of somebody was saying the Illuminati. One of the tactics of the Illuminati is to fulfill biblical prophecy as like a reverse psychology or something. I don't even know how that means. You know, that, that, that the elites of the world, they're the ones that are making Bible prophecy come true. So you Christians, you don't have a leg to stand on. It's not your God that's doing it. It's the elite powers of the world that are making these things happen. And I'm like, you are the stupidest people on planet Earth. Listen. Listen, let me give you a little clue. Everything is already here. If you want to make me go away as a Christian, don't make all the prophecies come true. Just make one of them fail and I'll go away. I'll stop preaching. I'll, I'll flush my Bible. All you have to do, and I'll even give you all the facts. And this guy's even on your team. All you got to do is make the Antichrist number 667, and then we'll go away. One fails, and the whole Bible fails because it's the God of heaven, and his word doesn't fail. And these things will come to pass. Amen? Amen. Hey, we want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to get their heart and their life right with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It is the most important thing that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it, and it has to be real. It has to be a real decision that you make. We're going to pray a prayer, but there's no power in the prayer. Their power comes from your heart through the prayer, through the prayer to your heart that says, I want to receive the Lord Jesus in my life. I want to give my life to God. I, I want to be ready for these things. I want to go in the rapture. I want to know Jesus. I want to serve God. There is a God, and I want to know him, and I want him to know me. And so, so it's important. Name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you have opportunity to do that thing. Salvation, the Bible says, is a free gift. It cost Jesus everything. It wasn't free to Jesus. That's what we celebrated in communion today, that it was a great cost that it came. But the cost has been paid, and the gift is free. You have to receive it. It's that simple. You have to, you have to give your life to the Lord Jesus. And you can't give him 90%. Maybe you say, I know this is true, and I know that's right, and I do want to go to heaven, but... I still kind of like some things in my life I'm not willing to lay down yet. You're not ready. You have to give it all. You have to be willing to say and mean it in your heart. But if you do that this morning as we pray, you, your life will change from hell to heaven, from death to life. 
from darkness to light. So I want to give you that opportunity. If that's just you in here today, I just want to ask you to say a simple prayer. You know, I think all I have to say is yes, yes, Jesus. And if that's your prayer and it came from your heart, you just got saved. But we'll make it a little more elaborate from that. But you just say yes to Jesus in your heart. So will you bow your heads with me? Will you repeat after me as we pray? And if this is you, I just want you to pray this with a sincerity of heart. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I give you all of my life. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose the third day. Heart, I confess with my mouth the Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to end with this uh, hymn that I've been teaching you guys. And it's